I'm Brian Jennings for The Source Weekly. Dr. David Peterson is a nationally known forest research biologist who works with the Pacific Northwest Research Station. He is internationally regarded for his research on climate change and shares in the 2007 Nobel Peace Prize. Dr. Jessica Holofsky is a research ecologist with the University of Washington School of Environmental and Forest Sciences. For the past year, they've been working together to assess how climate change may impact water resources, fisheries, vegetation, wildlife, and recreation on public lands in the Deschutes, Ochico, and Fremont Wyneema National Forests, the Crooked River National Grassland, and Crater Lake National Park. Dr. Peterson and Dr. Holofsky spoke with a source weekly. This is SourceCast. Please tell me about the research that you've been conducting And specifically when it comes to the forests here in central Oregon, the Fremont, the Deschutes, the Ochico. Dave, do you want to begin with uh, some of this? Sure. So we've been working with the local national forest for the last two years now and trying to pull together some information that's available that would help them to begin responding to the challenge of climate change. The first step is to identify the sensitivities of different natural resources such as vegetation, wildlife, water, and so forth. And then after we identify the sensitivities, we will use that as a basis for developing some responses that can be implemented by the National Forest on the ground to hopefully mitigate some of the negative things that could happen in the future. Jessica, on your, uh, from your viewpoint. Um, well, as Dave said, we're um, you know, trying to work with the managers and really get them involved in the process of, of uh, identifying the, the, the key vulnerabilities on their lands and to use their local knowledge to um, help determine how to respond. What have you found in your research so far? Well, we found a couple of pretty important things, and we've done this through what we call science management partnerships. So this is a group of resource managers and research scientists working together. So we aren't getting just the academic perspective here, but we're getting the on-the-ground perspective. Everyone's very concerned about water in the future. This is already a fairly arid region. We expect it's going to get drier in the future. That's going to affect water supply. It's going to affect fish. And it's going to affect, uh, to a certain extent, people's access to certain things like water supply, uh, recreational opportunities, and so forth. Are you finding trends that we need to pay attention to in regards to our forests? Yes. Um, well, uh, the, the water temperature is one trend that we have found, and um, we have projections for what that water temperature might look like in the future and where different species might do well and where they might not in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at other trends in uh, forests and changes in uh, particularly fire regimes and we're expecting that to increase in the future, potentially insect outbreaks, um, and, and after a while, changes in, in species composition in the forest. So this this past year that you mentioned, with the fish die-offs and so forth, I think it was really a gift to us to have this low snowpack year because it was sort of a wake-up call. And I know a lot of the climatologists think that 2015 might be a window into the future, kind of the new normal after about mid-century. So it gives us something to think about in terms of how, how will we manage this, how will we adapt to this, when this isn't just a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but starts to occur more frequently. It's going to be a big stress on a lot of the organisms out there, but uh, people will have to adapt as well. 
What specifically have you found in terms of temperature ranges? Have you categorized that? You've got data on that? Well, temperature has increased oh, about one and a half degrees Fahrenheit since uh, about the middle of the 20th century. And so that, that's a global phenomenon, right? It's very consistent here as well. The biggest direct impact that we're seeing here and across the West is a reduction in snowpack. And that's only going to continue to get worse as time goes on. This year, fortunately, we've had some. <laughs> yes, this year's been a good snowpack year. And, of course, anything would be good compared to last year. That was the low point for sure. And when you have high mountains like Mount Bachelor, they're going to catch a lot of that snow. So, you know, we're, we're in pretty good shape this year. What are the projections going forward? Well, definitely increasing temperature, you know, across the board. That's a, a pretty certain. Um, we also expect decreased snowpack, um, particularly uh, at lower elevations, kind of those mid-elevation places that don't always have a lot of snow uh, to lose the snow, maybe almost completely. Um, precipitation is more un- uncertain for the future. There has obviously been a lot of variability over thousands to millions of years in climate, and a lot of that is very well documented. The thing that's different here, there's two things actually. One is that we're dramatically changing the atmospheric environment. Carbon dioxide is going up rapidly, therefore the rate of temperature increase is also going up rapidly, faster than it's ever occurred in you know, millions of years in the past. So that's a big, big difference is that rate of change. The other thing is that we now have 7 billion people on the planet, which we didn't have millions of years ago when the climate was changing. So it's very much of a social issue as well as a biological or physical issue, and that's the big difference. Now the question becomes, as we have this information, how do we use it? Because the impact of, of, of this on recreation, the way we live, things are going to have to change, are they not? Yeah, and that's what we're focused on here is, you know, presenting the information and having the managers use that to develop ways to respond. So um, we have them broken out by resource area like um, recreation and vegetation, um, water, and then use that information to, you know, find ways to increase the capacity of these ecosystems to respond and um, ways to manage to to help systems respond or transition. How do you see it? Uh, impacting recreation, for instance, in the next few years? Yeah. Well, one of the things is we expect longer recreation seasons because of the higher temperatures. So um, more people will likely want to access the national forests in the shoulder seasons in the um, early spring or late fall. Um, And so dealing with that, uh, it's also at times of year when we might have issues with public safety, like flooding and road conditions, and so um, responding to the, that increased uh, demand for access will be one issue. Um, we expect uh, the, the winter recreation season to um, decrease with lower snowpack, and so um, people might have to travel further to find snow and, and do what they usually do in the snow. Managers of our public lands have to be prepared to be able to manage them accordingly. It's a real challenge because our our frame of reference is the past. What have we done historically? How have things uh, uh, persisted in nature historically? And now things are changing quickly. And so we we have allocated resources and funding and people to different activities on our public lands based on that historic record. And so the challenge is to build some flexibility into that. 
So when we have a 2015 year without snow, can we provide access to those summer facilities a little bit earlier in the year? Uh, that requires some adjustments in planning and management, certainly. So uh, that's exactly what we're talking about at this workshop. So we may have an open season on fishing beginning in March rather than the end of April if we have to. Well, we'll see. You know, there are, there are these very standard seasons for fishing and hunting and so forth, and it, it's an open question whether the availability of fish and, and big game is going to be compatible with current hunting and fishing seasons. I think that that's a great uncertainty for the future. I do believe that people who engage in these activities are extremely flexible and adaptable. Because if I don't find snow here, I'm going to go somewhere else. If I can't find fish here, I'm going to find another stream that has them. But I like my stream. I know you do. Mm -hmm. You might have to be a little bit more flexible. Jessica, in your teachings, are you seeing um, more awareness, especially with younger people, as we approach these, these major decisions that we're going to have to focus on in the future? Absolutely. I think Dave and I have seen a real progression. We've been working on this for about eight years now, and just the amount of um, background information that people have, understanding of, of the basic um, climatic changes and the impacts that they have, that we'll have. Let me ask you this question. As you see the trends and the warming trends and what's happening in our forests and our public lands, are you scared? Oh, I'm an optimist, so I, I think, um, you know, I see a lot of uh, good resource managers that are, um, you know, working hard to try to respond to this. And I think we can do things that will help reduce the negative impacts. Not all of them, but most of them. Dave? And I think the key here is not to feel like we can resist this, that we can put up barriers or walls and stop the increase in fire or stop the uh, droughts, but more of how can we accommodate those? How can we change the way that we use resources, how we manage resources, and what people's expectations are? I mean, the, the future is never the same as the past, ever. And that's something that's getting very sharply in focus now. And it'll be, I think it will be incumbent on the, the public agencies to have that conversation with uh, public land users so that we have this time to adjust and so there's an ongoing dialogue about how this transition occurs. And then the ability to communicate that and work with the public at large. I think that's going to be a real, uh, not a barrier, but it's going to take effort. It will definitely take effort. And this is still a fairly new topic for a lot of people. Um, as Jessica suggested, I think our, our great hope is the younger generation. They're growing up with this, and it's going to be a challenge for their entire lifetimes. And they, I think they're up for the challenge. And I think they have some great ideas. At our workshop this week, we have some, some younger people. We have some older people. They're mixing it up in there. But I think it's, it's younger folks who are going to make this work. You both obviously love public lands. Can you talk to me about that, that love of public lands that people have? You yourselves have this. Absolutely. It is sort of a passion, almost a spiritual thing. Um, now, I work for the Forest Service, so that's an obvious connection. But I'm also a tree farmer. And I have my own forest land. And it's a very heartfelt connection that I have. And I want to leave those lands in decent condition for my daughter and for future generations. So it's personal as well as professional for me. Jessica? 
Yeah, well, I, I told you I come from the East Coast, and so coming out here to the West, I just think it's just an amazing resource to have all of these public lands. And um, done a lot of work out here, spent a lot of time here, and also have kind of that spiritual connection to them. So. I'm Brian Jennings for The Source Weekly, and you've been listening to SourceCast, also online at bendsource.com.